Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Okay, so uh, when we first started the series, we showed a video. I don't know if you guys remember the Bible Project video that we had um, that was talking about uh, justice and oppression, and it just really was a powerful video when we saw it at a conference, and we used it for this because it just depicted so well what happens, you know, since God created us at the beginning, we were all equal, we were all made in the image of God, we were all on a level playing field, and then once sin entered the equation, instantaneously this like leveling started happening and they displayed it by that one person would be up here and another person would be down here and people do it individually and then people do it you know in groups and then whole cities and whole nations will constantly be doing this to each other and it's this battle of using this kind of dynamic of I'm better than you and you're less than me and I'm gonna do everything I can to keep this status quo and that that is a result of sin in the fall and it's a really amazing video, and if you haven't seen it, um, maybe someone will put a link in after today somewhere for you to see it, because I think it's somewhere, and I don't know. Um, but you can also just Google it. Um, but it's a really powerful video, and it's really, really moving, and I think about it a lot um, since I've watched it. And um, just all the ways that this actually happens in our daily life, right? And like we're, everyone in here is aware of the really big, horrid ways this happens. It's happening right now, right on the world stage, where people are being murdered and destroyed, innocent people, right? That's this happening on a really big scale. And, but it also happens on really small scales, little scales. And my back went out, I think about two weeks ago. I'm still in some pain today. And, um, but two Fridays ago, I was in enough pain that I had to stay in bed with ice, because I gets to where I can hardly move. And when I lay in bed like that and am in pain, I get really irritable <laughs> and not very kind to my family. And so then I have to apologize a lot. And I'm like, God, why am I so irritable? Like, where is this coming from? Like, it, it's not just about the pain. The pain is just exposing something. And as I laid there praying and talking with God, I felt like he said, well, it's coming from your fear. And I was like, well, what fear? And he's like, your fear of being stuck this way forever. And it's true, I had this fear, and I do have a fear, that what if I got stuck in bed forever and couldn't ever move again? It became very limited in my mobility. And I was like, oh my goodness, I would become an invalid, which is a word we don't use anymore, but that's the word that popped into my head. I would become an invalid. And I was like, and then if you're that, you get forgotten. People, right at first, maybe might care, but then I would get forgotten, and this like, whole thing started spiraling. And I was like, God, what is this? Why do we even use a word like that? Because then I started thinking, invalid is invalid, tomato, tomato. I would become invalid. If I became weak, I would become invalid. And I just, my heart was hurting, and I was in a battle, because I don't really believe that's true either. I know truths, but it's like things that are buried in my heart were surfacing up in that moment. And I was like, Lord, this is just awful, even the way we use language, right? A word like invalid and invalid, although we don't do it now, but there's, we just come up with new words. To maybe not do this, but we do this. The real subtle ways we use language to make someone less than us, or the way we look at someone or not look at someone to make them less than us. Um, 
And, you know, I just think it's so everywhere. Like, I became so overwhelmed. It's not even the big, horrible things that people do. It's like the little things, and it's like, oh, I feel so helpless. <laughs> like, this, oh, it starts to, like, feel crushing. Um, I think I forgot that I actually put a picture so I didn't have to do, there's the picture. Um, of what I was talking about when I was doing this, that's what I was trying to display, the way, you know, the garden, we were all originally equal, and then they disappeared. And then it goes like this. Um, I think every person in this room, I could say, has at one point in your life been made to feel less than. would be very shocked if there hasn't. Some of us more than others, maybe, but every person has been made to feel less than in this room. Maybe less than because you weren't smart enough. Maybe less than because you didn't have the right clothing or that you weren't attractive enough or you didn't live in the right neighborhood. Um, for how much money you ha didn't have or the shape of your body. And then, of course, the big ones, you know, gender, race. Every person has been made to feel less than at some point in their life. Many of my, I would say, deepest wounds are born in the moments where I've been made to feel less than. And oftentimes, one moment of less than builds on another moment of less than. So maybe one person does something little and makes me feel embarrassed for something I don't know, but then another person does it again and then again, and then eventually you think, oh, I don't know anything. I'm not smart enough or good enough or whatever, right? And so they, they tend to stack. So even if it's a micro one the first time, they come at us over and over and over and over again and get us to this point where we're here. So one of the other things this video did, it didn't just show how we get put like that. At one point in the video, it shows what tends to happen over and over because of sin when this person, if they for some reason get access to a situation that then allows them to be up here, they don't usually choose to remain equal. They do as much as they can to push down the people that did it to them, right? It's just a dynamic that happens. As soon as whoever's here gains power, they tend to then oppress. And it may be this person, or it may be another person, or another people group. Um, so an example of this that I felt like God wanted me to share. So in, in middle school, like how this plays out in small ways. Again, we know how it plays out like on world stage, right? So, but this is like a smaller individual way. When I was in middle school, my family was what would be considered lower class, and often I was called white trash. That was the name I was teased about by fellow students. And there's this one girl in this class, and I won't say her name here, but I would really like to. No, I'm just saying I don't really want to. Um, who always made fun of me for the clothes I wore because they weren't name brand. They didn't come from Macy's. Now, I lived in Reno, which was a really small town. We had a mall, and it was a big deal whether you were a mall shopper or not in the school's system there. And my, so my stuff didn't come from Macy's. Um, it came from Kmart and Target. Now, I know some people think tar Target's chic now, but back then, it was not chic at all. <laughs> and it was like, it wasn't Macy's. And um, she would just every day, like every day, and I had multiple classes with her, she would do what she could to make fun of something. And if I wore something new to school, like something that I had gotten a gift or spent money, she would just 
do so many things to try to embarrass me about, to the point I didn't like to wear new things to school, because she was, I knew she was gonna mock me. And she would do it publicly, obviously, so other people could hear it and see it. And it was awful. So one day, and it was actually around St. Patrick's Day, because I remember I was there, because I had saved money so I could buy white shorts to wear green and white on St. Patrick's Day. And I was at Target to buy white shorts that I had saved up money for. And I was walking, and you wouldn't believe who I ran into at the Target was this young lady and her mother shopping. And it was evident, just by the way her mother was dressed, that they were probably in the same economic situation as my family. And we made eye contact, and she saw me, and then I saw her, and in that moment, like, the playing field changed. She was totally panicked. This girl now knows where I'm buying my clothes. This girl I've shamed. And now, my response could have been like, oh, let's be friends now, so you don't have to be mean to me. You're okay, I'm okay. But it was not. I looked at her and I smiled, and on the inside it was like, <laughs> like I felt so much mad joy. I don't know what to call it. It wasn't a happy joy. It was just like I have the power now, and I I used it, although not really badly. But like when at school, like I would just look at her, and I'd make sure she knew I knew that I knew where she bought her clothes, and she never again, ever, ever again teased me. Like, she wasn't kind to me, but she just stopped acting like I was around, which was a huge relief. But I loved the way I could glare at her and terrify her, right? Because it was clearly so important to her to be here through her clothes, where she got her clothes, through the, the image that, that she created. It was so important, and I loved that I had the power to knock that down. Any minute, I can shame you is what I was communicating to her. Any minute I could destroy the illusion of what you've got going on here, right? So that's just a small way that happens. And it was a middle school, right? And so I think as I share that, you all have these experiences where you have been the less than, but you have also perpetuated being the better than, right? And not, not being here. Okay, so that dynamic, having grown up with that my whole life, all of you have grown up with that your whole life. This has been going on since the fall, right? Since the end of the garden. So, like, back in the Old Testament times, like pre-Jesus, God was in the temple. Many of you already know that, right? He had a special place in the temple where he dwelled called the Holy of Holies. And it was so special, it had, like, this massive curtain, and it was in the deep deeps of the temple, and only very special, specifically assigned, people could go there at certain times under very strict regulations, and it was like a serious deal, because God is so holy, and it was like they used to tie like ropes to the feet, so that in case the person died while they were in there, they could pull them out without anybody else having to go in there, because it was a serious business, and that makes sense to me. I have grown up in a world where better than is here and less than is over here, and sometimes not like this is even like feels more like this, right? So it makes sense. It's logical to have a God that has to be separate because of how good he is, how holy he is, how pure he is, to be away from curtain. And the Jewish people understood that. Like it was just normative to them. They, they understood how sinful they were, um, how broken they were. 
They maybe would have used different language, but they understood it, and so that wasn't, that seemed logical to them as well. Um, you're busy now. <laughs> um, I asked if I could share Emma this morning because I just wanted to talk about something that doesn't seem logical, right? Like, so in a world where, like, better is here and everything's here, like, and God is behind a curtain because of how good and holy he is. Oh, hello, sweet baby. She's going to be my prop. <laughs> um, in that place, right, where God was so separate, and at the same exact time when God was behind a curtain, away from all of us, he decided to be born of a woman and come into the world as a baby. I mean, that does not make sense. This God that's so good and pure that he had to be that separate from us chooses to come like this, right? And this, she's advanced baby. How old is she now? Five months. So she, she can hold her head up. She can look around. She can see you guys, right? But a newborn can't do anything. They can't hold up their head. They can eat. They can cry. They poop a lot. <laughs> And God, the creator of the universe, right, this all-powerful being, chose to come in literally the most helpless form he could choose to come in. Isn't that mind-blowing? That people could hold God like this. They could bounce God around. I'm sure people were snipping God's head. because That's what you do with babies, especially newborns. You sniff their heads. I think that's mind-boggling to me, mind-boggling. Like, the Christmas story is mind-boggling that God would choose to come like this. This doesn't seem purposeful or helpful. Do you want to go back to your mommy or stay with me? She's okay. <laughs> We're cool. I'm going to keep her a little bit. She's liking this. Yeah? Um, <laughs> So God came like this, right? And then not just like this as a baby. He didn't just stay and stay here, but he became a toddler. So God had to learn to crawl and walk and feed himself. God probably put, like, weird things in his mouth, right? Like, I just think that's so maybe drooled. Isn't that amazing? It's just, I, it's just weird. Yeah. And then God didn't just have to be a toddler, right? He had to be a young boy. Do you want to go back to Mama now? Say thanks to Emma for helping. <laughs> um, he had to become a young boy. And I, as I think about, like, a young boy, it's like, then God, God, Jesus, right? Same person, God in the flesh, Jesus, had to, like, do chores, had to be obedient to parents that were imperfect, because Mary and Joseph would not have been perfect, right? Imagine having to do that as the creator of the universe, small tasks, mundane tasks. Jesus had siblings, siblings. If you have siblings, you know what siblings are like, Right? <laughs> Jesus had siblings. And then Jesus just grew up, just did like growing up things, like daily life, boring stuff, 
For 30 years, God just did life. For those of you who've been 30 before, 30 years is a long time. A lot happens in 30 years. And that is just what Jesus did. He had neighbors, right? There would have been funerals to attend, birthdays to go to. Although I think they were like bar mitzvahs. Bar mitzvahs, did they do that? I don't know. But it would have been the celebrations, right? Going to festivals, watching people do all the people things. He was here watching all of this happening. He wouldn't have participated in it, right? Because he was perfect, because he was fully God, fully man. But he would have been like in just ordinary life the way we are in ordinary life. And he was like that for a really long time, 30 years. And I think, again, mind-boggling, the creator of the universe choosing to do that. And then, not only choosing to do all of that, but after being here with us for 30 years, you really get to know what people are like. Like, I know God knows us, but like he was in the muck with us. And even after being in the muck with us, still chooses, right, to go to the cross for us. Still chooses to go to the cross for us. To die for us so that we could be restored right? And he just doesn't die for us so that we can be restored. He rises for us so that we can have new life. And I find that, again, amazing. It's literally the most wondrous thing I know is that. And then it doesn't just stop there, right? Because then Jesus ascends. We know he doesn't stay around here in the same way that he was before he ascends. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to be where? In us. So God, who used to be in a curtain, separate away, gets to this place where he's with us, allows himself to be a baby, grows up, does life with us, even after seeing (laughs) what we're really like, right? Chooses to die for us, to restore relationship with us to the point that he can be now in us. We then now become that sacred space, right? That holy of holy space. We are the new place where God dwells. And this technically is called the good news, right? All of that part of Jesus' work is the good news. And when you think about, like, what does all that communicate? The part, like, I, I know most people know the cross. I know most people know the death and resurrection, and they understand that part. And the, those are amazing. And in, in that amazingness, I think sometimes we overlook those first 30 years, partly because they're not talked about in Scripture a lot. But those first 30 years included the incarnation of God. He didn't become incarnational when he started doing the flashy things, the healing and the um, raising of the dead and making blind see. He was incarnational the whole time he was here. He was fully God, fully man the entire time he was here. And most of the time he was here was ordinary time, just regular living. And what that communicates to me, all of those parts, that that long part, the dying part, the resurrecting part, the ascending part, the indwelling part, is how much God wants to be with me. I was raised 
knowing Jesus. But I was also raised knowing this, that I belong here. Or maybe I should be here and this other person can be here. And so I even felt that way for a really long time with God, that like, well, God, he loves me because he has to, or, but he loves me from here. But the more time I have been walking with God, the more and more I realized how much he really does want to be with me. Like that that is the good news, that God wants to be with me, that God wants, wants to be with you. Everything he's done, and you can actually look at this through all of scripture, is to prove how much he wants to be with you. The lengths he's willing to go to be with you. And it's the greatest treasure I have, is knowing that God wants to be with me. So, because I was inspired by the Bible Project, I decided that I'm also going to use imagery to communicate to you guys what I'm talking about. So you guys are ready? Okay, here we go. I drew this picture <laughs> all by myself. And I'm pretty sure the Bible Project is going to offer me a job by the end of the day. I'm pretty sure. Um, but what this is, is what I'm just, I just want to depict the withness of God through pictures, because I just like, you know, I see things in pictures. So the cross is going to be the symbol for Jesus, and that blue thing is a cloud, and that's God, okay? So there's Jesus and there's God. Okay, so now scripture tells us, and by the way, I'm not going to tell you the addresses for any of the things I'm about to say, because I would like you to go look it up. If you don't like what I say and it sounds like it's not right, Go search in scripture to find out if I'm telling you the truth. If you really like what I say, still go look. I could be making things up. Go look and verify. Okay, so like dig into scripture. Um, anyways, but it, it, is, it does come from there. Okay, so in scripture, Jesus communicates to us that the Father is in him and that he's in the Father. Okay, so that's just like my visual depiction of what Jesus says is talking about, that he, God is in him and he is in God. Make sense? picture really helps, doesn't it? Okay. That is humans. That's just people. It's a symbol of people. My son complimented <laughs> on how nice the neck was drawn. <laughs> I was like, what do you think? He's like, well, the neck is very nice. <laughs> it's a great neck. So anyway, that's people. And scripture now tells us that when we become believers, something changes about our peopleness, right? So this represents a person who has not said, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you came fully God, fully man, and died for me. And I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. You have saved me, and I can't do life without you. Something changes. And so this is what happens. Jesus indwells you, right? He comes in to be in you. But we also know that in Jesus is God, right? So there's Jesus in you, and in Jesus is God. Make sense? You tracking? Yeah? Okay. But we also know... There we go. That Jesus tells us that he's in us, but we're also in him. He says, you are in me, just as I am in you. Or he might flip it the other way, I don't remember now. So that's that. 
But we also know that it's true that we, together with Jesus, are hidden with Christ in God. So when we become a believer and begin to follow Jesus, this is what happens to us. I don't know how more with you can become than that. I don't. He's in, he's out, he's around. It's like layered. And I find this astounding. I think something, I don't even know, just wondrous would happen if we could mine the riches of what this actually means. If we were able to grasp to greater and greater degrees of the reality of what this means, it would be wondrous. Paul even calls it at one point in Scripture the glorious mystery of Christ in us. Okay, so what does this have to do with the gospel with the poor? So Paul uh, wrote a letter to the Philippians. Paul wrote lots of letters, um, and they mostly say a lot of the same. That font is terrible up there. Can you guys see that, or is it just me? Um, I, that was my bad. I'm so sorry. Can you read that? Okay. Um, so Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians, and he's talking to them about relationship and how to be together. Um, but this doesn't apply just to the Philippians. This applies to all of us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Being taking, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what Paul is saying here is in our relationships with one another, he's asking us to be what I would call incarnationally generous, the same way Jesus was. To have the same mindset or attitude as Jesus and to live life out like Jesus does, to be humbled, to let go of the privileges and the powers that we have and not use them to be above, but to use them to be equal with others. Paul is asking us, I think, to demonstrate the withness of God, how he is with us, how he longs to be with us and wants to be with us. And he tells us how to do it, right? It's really easy peasy, like everything else Paul tells us to do is just have the mindset of Christ. You can do that. And then humble yourself. Be humble. Got it? That's just all you got to go do. Well, no, we can't actually do that. Most of us know. And even Paul knows that we can't. You know, there's some tiny things that we lose in translation. But like the word mindset on here is not something like, oh, I just know something. What it means is a changing of your mind to the point that you actually live differently. 
It's not just a thought that you believe, it's a, it's a whole systemic change of how you live life that is empowered by God. And the humbling that he's talking about, like Jesus humbling himself, the, that has implications in the language. That It's a humbling that requires absolute dependence on God and letting go of self-reliance. So in this, Paul is saying to do the thing, you have to actually tap into this. This allows you to have access, the ability to actually have the mindset of Christ. This allows you to be fully dependent on God in a way that wasn't possible before, where you can actually say, I don't have to rely on myself anymore. I don't have to rely on the rules that others play. I can do things differently now. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Are you guys still with me on that? Okay. So what Paul is telling us to do in that scripture, and really in most of Paul's writings, I think he's telling us to do this, to tap into this witness of God. Um, He's having us do this because it's what, and the only way that we can participate in the doing of this. And the only way that we can tap into this that I know of, and there may be ways I don't know of, but is to actually spend quality time with Jesus. And those can be called all sorts of things like spiritual disciplines, right? Spiritual practices, reading scripture. But the only way to live out of this place is to actually spend time quality time with God. You know, you can be with someone in a room, and if they're on their phone, you know they're not with you, even though they're physically with you. So even though this reality is true, the moment we become believers, we can walk around and still kind of do whatever we want to do, because God doesn't take over our will. But we can make a choice to start interacting with him more and more, to encounter him more and more, to just be with him more and more. And as we do that, what will start to happen not because of like your own effort or will, but because of being with God just does this to you, it's going to start changing your mindset. It's going to start changing the way you function internally so that as you act externally, you will start being more reliant, kinder, more loving, more patient. You'll gain more self-control You'll have more hope. I'm thinking about skipping something. I didn't pay any attention to what time I started either. So, does anyone know how much time I have left? (laughs) This is all day. (laughs) Um, That was my bad. but this, okay, so I'm skipping a bunch of things. Okay, so what I think God really wants me to focus on and kind of land on is this. A lot of times we hear like phrases like, what would Jesus do? You know, like if you want to fix this, just do what Jesus would do. And that, I don't know, it feels really complicated and also still puts a lot of burden on, this, on me. Um, The wonderful thing that happens when you start spending time with God and encountering him personally 
and getting to know him is that you're just going to fall in love with him. That whole love God, love others things we talk about, I mean, that's not equal. You have to love God more. You can't love others more. God has to be it. You're, the thing that you love the most needs to be him. But he doesn't expect us to just like magically love him. He's eager to show us who he is. And as you spend more and more time with who he is and the way he is, you're just going to fall in love with him. You can't not. You can't not fall in love with Jesus when you encounter the true Lord Jesus. And as you start to do that, as you start to fall in love with him and spend time with him, and he transforms you and changes you, we call that sanctification in the church, what starts to happen is that he actually will help you do you the way Jesus would do you. Does that make sense what I'm saying? When you do that, he's not going to change you to be like how Jesus was. He's going to help you be you the way Jesus would be you if he were you. Yeah? Try again. <laughs> right? Like God makes each of us specifically the way he makes us with purpose. It's not accidental, right? It's a great trick of the enemy to shame people and make them less than because then if they're diminished, they're less likely to recognize that they are image bearers. We are all image bearers. And when we get it, when we get that God made us the way we are on purpose and then start doing life the way he would have us do it as him, that is when we can do what God has planned for us. And each of you has a very specific calling and a very specific purpose. And where you're operating right now, most of you probably think is your ordinary time. Like you're waiting for the thing. Some of you know and are already there, but many people just think, oh, I'm waiting for the big thing that God wants me to do, the flashy thing, or I have to start this organization, or I'm going to free everybody from human trafficking, or, you know, like grand ideas. But the reality is, is the witness of God, how much you know that God wants to be with you, that's your gift that you have to bring to the world. Whether that's with people you're serving that are the poorest of poor circumstantially, or whether it's the people that you work with, or the people that you live with, or your neighbors, the greatest thing you have to offer them aren't just resources, and those are important. If you have stuff you share, you give, right? That's you doing you like Jesus would do you. But what you, the most valuable thing you have is to show that how much God wants to be with another. When you can communicate to that with someone and you see that it, like, light go on to someone for the first time, and you see them get brought from here to here, not because of anything changing in their life, but because they realize the truth about how God sees them, there's nothing better than that. There's people in your life right now that desperately need to know how much God wants to be with them. And there's people in this room right now that I know need to know how much God wants to be with you. Not just sometimes, not just for a few days until he gets tired of you, but like this, never leaving you, never abandoning you, never forgetting you, always with you.